5678. Hello, dear listeners. Before I play you the episode with Eleanor, I want to ask you to participate in a small project of mine. I'm collecting pictures of dance studios, gym halls, rooms, parks or whatever space where you do your dance training. They are a part of a project to appreciate and document dance training. And I would be so grateful if you would send me pictures of preferably empty dance studios and dance places. I will make sure to mention your names when the pictures are being used. So send it to my email rebecca.berstold at gmail.com You can find it in the description of the episode. Uh, My aim is 100 pictures. (laughs) So please help me out. So far I have received 13. Yes, uh, thank you so much. And now I'm going to let you enjoy the episode with Eleanor Bauer. Five, six, seven, eight. Hello and welcome to Five, Six, Seven, Eight, a podcast about dance training. My name is Rebecca Berstold, and today's guest is Eleanor Bauer. Hey. Welcome. Thank you. So happy to have you in the podcast. Happy to be here. Would you like to introduce yourself? I am Eleanor Bauer, fellow dance podcaster. No. Um, (laughs) I'm a dancer, performer, choreographer, a maker of things. Um, I've been moving, dancing forever. So what can I say? I'm from Santa Fe, New Mexico. I'm in Sweden for a PhD in choreography at Stockholm University of the Arts. Finishing soon. And uh, yeah, what else? We'll get into the specifics when we talk about things. Exactly. And the rest is Googleable. Yes. <laughs> and we are in Hennesand at Nordans, and you're giving morning training this week. Mm-hmm. But we met before mm-hmm. in uh, Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. I think you made a piece for the class beneath me. Yes. And we had like a week with you or something. Yeah, I think I did morning class with you exactly. guys a little then also. But I have also previous memories of you through other people. Because a friend and uh, colleague of mine, Emilie Gregersen, uh-huh. she made part of her internship with you. Yes. So when she came back to school, she introduced a lot of things that she did with you. Okay. So I had this weird feeling of meeting you before I met you. Do you remember what she introduced? Uh, dancing not a dancer okay cool and um future you should you were supposed to dance the future of the other person you were in yeah. couples uh-huh perfect movement also mm-hmm. many of these uh, scores that i did cool. with her 
nice. Yes, very nice. I can cite where those things come from to respect lineage and so on. But yeah, yes. cool. Maybe we should do some of those things tomorrow. Nice. <laughs> so let's start in the beginning of your dance journey. When did you start to dance? In Montessori school, when I was, I don't even know, like daycare, Montessori, preschool age, maybe like four or five I started dancing. There was a creative movement class with Deborah. I don't remember her last name, but she had fantastic hair and fantastic leggings and a fantastic car. <laughs> it was the 80s, what you want? Um, yeah, Montessori school. I think that's pretty much the context that has stayed with me forever, like play to learn, uh, do to find out. I think the sort of movement research ethics of curiosity and getting busy with your own journey and we're kind of like nurtured there and then. What did you do then? I make it. I actually, when I did, I was in Xavier de Roy's retrospective when he did it at um, PS One in New York. And it's funny because I make the joke there that like I basically the things I did in creative movement class are what I've like done my entire career. You know, they just came back around. So like pretending to be stuff. You know, <laughs> being things. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like this, I feel like a very sort of, to use the word contemporary dance. I, I I think it's also related to Bhutto maybe things like, or somatic practices. The This faculty of like using your imagination to change your sensation than to change your form is a thing that I felt like, oh, that's that's just creative movement. Like, <laughs> be a plant, be a bear, like, now mm. be bubbly, like, whatever. Like, Gaga is fully just my Montessori school creative movement class. Like, except someone tells me in a Gaga class, like, no, no, you have to do spaghetti like this. And nobody told me that I had to look a certain way in Montessori school. So it was not an aesthetic regime. Uh, yeah, we also did some dancing around to Michael Jackson, Jackson like, I only know this from a video that we had a routine to I'm bad. Um, and we actually did like some karate in there too, like Aikido rolls and like certain karate forms. I forgot what it's called. Like what's what are the choreographies called in karate? You do a... Kelta? Kelta? Yes, yeah. maybe something like something that. Right. Oh, it's crazy. I feel like, oh, I'm so ashamed. It sounds bad to know. Well, I was five, you know. <laughs> it's okay. I didn't do karate after that. Excuse me. That was that was the mix then. And it's, you know, I could go, I could push it and say, like, those are the basic ingredients that were, like, useful forever. But surely I did learn other skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was where I started dancing. And then I got into jazz class when I was, like, six because my sister was doing it. And I saw her doing it and I wanted to do it. So then started that stuff and I was doing a lot of competition jazz in my small town of okay. Santa Fe, New Mexico, you know, dancing in hotel lobbies and convention centers in sequins and so on. How was that? Oh, ridiculous, weird, fun, alienating. I don't know. I liked performing so much. I didn't really care if it was like a competition or a recital or mm. I think I really just enjoyed dancing and I enjoyed performing and I had a teacher at that age who was like Eleanor never marks 
you know, that was a thing she said when I left the school and did another thing. I don't know. It was like her recommendation to the next school was like, she never marks. <laughs> I'm like, what's marking? <laughs> like, who at the age of like eight or 10, like even knows the concept of marking? Like, that's just being half A-S-S-E-D about things. Um, trying not to curse on the radio. <laughs> so yeah, there was that. And then I got a little bit of ballet training before I went to boarding school for the arts, which was when I was like 14. I went to Idlewild Arts Academy in California. Because out of my own, also I followed my sister. She went there for visual arts. And I saw this broader horizon that like dance could be more artful and not just sequins and jazz hands and so on. Although there was some cool arty stuff, you know, like we did dances to Laurie Anderson and Peter Gabriel and had hoods on our unitards or like funny puff paint. You know, we weren't, it was Santa Fe. We weren't totally like just show, show dance bunnies. Anyway, boarding school attracted me for many reasons. I mean, mostly just to get more serious about dancing and education. The academics there were also better than in the public school of my hometown. So there I got more, uh, like, floor work and also very good, like, technical, anatomically wise ballet training so that it was less um, horrifying than my experiences of being in, like, color-coded unitards. I mean, leotards and just feeling like my shapes were not the right shapes. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I went to Tisch in New York. How far should I go? Yeah, go on. Went to NYU <laughs> Tisch in New York, uh, which was where, like, I learned terms like uptown dance and downtown dance, which was kind of funny. Like, I was like, what? There's those two worlds? You know, in high school, I was like, Alvin Ailey was the horizon. That's That was... Like I wanted to be like the first when I was like tw not high school younger adolescence I was like I want to be the first white girl in Alvin Ailey and then I was like too late <laughs> you missed that bus by a decade um yeah Tish was interesting I think for me mostly because of the location of being in New York but I also like I chose schools based on vibes like through my whole trajectory I really only applied for one school at a time and then got in and was like well if I don't get in I'll think of something else like I wasn't really strategic in my choosing of schools there were other schools that maybe on paper looked better but I just really liked the feeling of things when I visited the school the way People were in the building, the feeling in the building, vibes. Um, and remember? I got lucky. I got a really cool group that I was with. So do I remember what? Do you remember what you liked about performing as a kid? I don't know if that's even true what I'm saying. Like, I think there was like this non-distinction of just like being at a hundred. When I say like I didn't mark, I think I was like, It was, all, it was always showtime. Like, I was putting on shows in my living room when I was a kid. Like, you know. Yeah. I think even before preschool, I made my first piece. I slid in on the slippery living room floor with a peacock feather as a guitar and, like, lycra leggings and no shirt and my hair in my face. And I screamed, like, smash your head into the wall because I'm a heavy metal star. That I think that was the piece. <laughs> I'm calling that a piece. Hala Olofstodter would approve. <laughs> anyway, nonlinear time. Uh, yeah, Tish. I had a really fun group. I was in school with like this like 
just the people also in my high school class and my college class, many of us went together from Idlewild to NYU. So there was a strong bond. And mostly what made those years so productive um, was the nights we spent in the studio just making pieces, like every night, every recital, we would just like fill it up with work and be in each other's pieces and make stuff and feedback each other and yeah. And then I went to, I, I spent a year in New York after uh, Tish, you know, doing the hustle, working a thousand jobs, as I describe in the semi-fictional, semi-autobiographical solo, Big Girls Do Big Things. I worked 18-hour days, had five part-time jobs, whatever. And there I saw, like, the sort of chronic emerging syndrome of many New Yorkers, where even, like, the coolest, hottest choreographers of the moment just spent all their time complaining about fundraising and, like, lack of funds. And I was just like, ooh, this is heavy. <laughs> I don't know. And then I also found myself, I was writing a lot. I was writing reviews for a couple publications. I was writing grants for people. Like, I was I was good with words. And then when it was on me to write about my own work for any application of any sort, I was really at a loss to articulate what I was doing. And suddenly I realized, like, this connection between what it feels like and what I say it is or what it is and how we talk about it. It's like I don't have access. I don't have a language. I don't have any conceptual framework. I've just been making stuff like I like I organize my bedroom, you know, mm -hmm. like that looks good there. I like that there. That feels good. Let's do that. Like the way we got together in the studio at night making each other's pieces was just like let me make your dreams come true. Cool, let's do that. You know, like doing each other favors, like having fun serving each other's creative dreams. But it wasn't super analytic or conceptual or um, we didn't have a lot. Like the compositional tools we learned in composition class felt already a little dated. Like, um, But why was it different putting words to what you did and what others did? I, I won. That's what made me... That was the question. Mm. I was like, what, what is so opaque to me about my own process? Like, I'm not mystic about it. It's not like I, I have to be blind to what it is for it to be, like, good. There's no trust and instinct that's, like, has to be magical and unknowable. Uh, so then I thought about school and I heard about parts and I was attracted to this theory program and sort of relationship to the practice and... I didn't know very much about it. I didn't know anything about Rosas except I'd seen like a video of drumming and dance appreciation when I was on exchange at Seed one summer, actually from Gus Solomons Jr. So it was just like, I, but it all felt like very, I had no idea about Brussels being kind of a contemporary dance center in Europe. I had no clue. I was just like, I had this hunch, like maybe I want to go back to learn stuff. I know I can't afford to be spending $50,000 a year on education anymore. <laughs> a little cheaper over there, plus the promise of future employment. You could be a professional dancer in Europe for coin. Oh, gosh, they have health care and they have, like, funded dance companies and things. Maybe I can actually, like, work there. Again, very impulsive. Ultimately, it was, like, the pretty blossoming tree in the front yard at parts that, like, I was like, this is, oh, this is a beautiful tree. Like, I like this. I like this campus vibes, you know, whatever. So impulsive. I went, oh, my God, I remember arriving, like, all my luggage got lost. It didn't arrive for three days. I wore the same Adidas track suit for, like, three days. It stunk. Anyway, <laughs> parts. And then after parts, I ended up staying in Brussels for 
13 years in total, including school, which I had no idea was going to happen. But I guess my weird hunch that you could like work in Europe, (laughs) work, it turned out it's true. Um, And how did you experience parts? It was very fast. So it was like two years of the research cycle. So I'd already had my BA or BFA from Tisch. So I didn't do the training cycle. I was a little bit jealous of the training cycle group because they were like big and had this like energy as a group, a lot of solidarity. My group was interesting because many people had left, like they got work or joined companies or decided school wasn't for them. And so those who stayed were less than those who were new, who came in. So there was like a kind of weird, nebulous, non-group group um, energy, but a lot of really smart people and great humans. Like I, I really... I liked those people. We learned things together. I learned things from them and with them. Um, but the experience was like supercharged. It was just like a lot of conflicting information from like 8 a.m. until 6 p.m. And then again, I would stay in the studios all night making stuff. Um, I think what sort of jarred me was the showings. Like the showings at Tish were just like, cool, fun recitals. Woo, let's do another one. Like you do one, you dis- it disappears. You do the next one, it disappears. It was just this practice of making stuff. And I found that these showings, the stakes were a little bit higher because it would be like, oh, this showing is an audition for the next showing where it's just open to the public, which is an audition for the end of the year showing, which is like ticketed, which is an audition for the end of the you know, which who's going to be selected to be a choreographer, which is an audition for who, what we're taking on tour. It was like this constant kind of like selection process. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I thought we already did the audition. Like, can we be in school now? Can we experiment and try stuff and get messy? And I think it's changed since my group. There was like a lot of people who had strong opinions about that and now it's more feedback oriented like they have structured feedback rounds and like more mentorship programs and groups for feedback it's it's like the tone has changed around that um I wrote a semi-critical little essay about it in like the parts 10-year anniversary book it was like called like parts trademark marketing research like this thing of being like a quote research cycle but then in a fishbowl so you're constantly there's like a panopticon effect in the studios also. Like you can't cover the windows. There's, You can mm. see inside the windows all the time. There was this sense of like always watching and being watched, which is funny as a show pony performer person. Like I didn't really mind, but then I realized there was something sort of contradictory for me in the notion of like experimentation and re- research and trying stuff out and getting lost and not really feeling the sort of containership, either of feedback or critique or support where that would be validated or held by some other logic than like what's what's saleable, mm. like what's going to tour. And I was like, that's weak. <laughs> Whose decision is this anyway? Like, yeah, in a similar way. So there was like, you know, the director of the school at that time, Theo Van Rompe, who's now just leaving. He was a programmer before, so I felt like the way that the curriculum was designed was more from like a programmer perspective than from an educational perspective, which was awesome in the sense that we had all these current practicing artists that were like in the field now making stuff sort of the hot shit in the contemporary scene 
coming in to teach us workshops, but not every artist is a good teacher, you know, and it's a lot of the time it's assumed that just because you have a career that you can also teach stuff, but you might, that, that's not always, <laughs> that's not always a connect. There's not a, an alignment necessarily between pedagogy or, or any even interest in education and, you know, it was more like the whole school didn't have a curricular model or concept that I could comprehend. Like, what am I in here? Mm. Which was also interesting. It was like sink or swim, you know, like here's all this information and it's on you to like f navigate and synthesize, which I didn't mind. Like I could do it. But I think that's just more a relationship to like institution and authority being like, why should I do that if you don't know me? You know, I was like the kid that always asked why. Like, if I would get in trouble, I'd be like, well, how come? You know, like, whatever. Like, why is my allowance five and a million? Is this thing? You know, like, there was always a why. And my, my dad was like, why don't you just become a friggin' lawyer? Because I am not going to argue with you all day about, like, the rationale behind I told you so, you know, like, or because I said so. Like, you know, they did. My parents did entertain a lot of the why. So maybe I was just, like, looking at the school for, like, why? I don't know. Mm. Looking for some, like, big plan or reasoning. And a lot of it was it was just, like, aesthetics and curatorship and, you know, what's of the moment. I think that's probably also changing, but I don't – I can't speak. That school – what's interesting about that school is it changes so much. Mm. I think it's probably different now that it's trying to get accredited, but as it wasn't at that time, there was a lot of freedom to just, like – keep shifting and keep changing the model and try new things. And every group that came in and whinged and whined about this or that in the schedule, like you'd see two years later, something change. So it's like being the older sibling. Like you don't, you don't get to see the effects of your suffering, but your, your younger sibling will have something different because of it. Anyway, that's enough about parts. Is it enough about parts? I yeah. don't know. Yes. <laughs> um, if you think about all of this, Dance training. Yeah. From Montessori school to uh -huh, parts. Uh -huh. <laughs> what are you thankful for that it has taught you and trained? I think most of my reflection on training itself came later. And especially now while doing a PhD. Um, as I'm sitting with these questions of like how dance thinks or what do I know through dancing or... Um, what is what is thought or knowledge in that is native to dance intelligence you know like that really sitting with that question and trying to really articulate some some things some truths or even epistemologies or ontologies now i think it's more clear to me than it has been in the past but when i was like in my 20s and i was like just into like good dancing I think my value of good dancing at that time had to do with a clarity um of form and a certain like chameleonness, like an ability to be or become anyone or anything like to be very um fluent and I think imitation and like somehow like to imitate and to really embody and to sense and to fill it out with my own sensation of what it is from an outside, from imitation, is something I always appreciated. So that's one thing that I think before I go into like the more 
current gratitudes. But I think imitation is really beautiful. It's something we do anyway, like socially or inadvertently. But the way you really, like, I have felt I can get really skillful with imitation as a dancer is a kind of like intimacy with otherness ultimately that that I I think is very beautiful and like on a political spectrum anyway also to not insist on my dancing as a kind of identity or or like origin-ness like dance is all foreign it all comes from outside I learned everything I do physically from somewhere it's all learned behavior and patterning so that like attunement to patterning is a thing I'm grateful for for sure um that said I mean the other side of that is like the drag of like oh I don't want to feel things all the time (laughs) like I've had to work to like disidentify even though I recognize that all the things come from outside and is learned and there's an intimacy of understanding another person through trying to do what they do Side note on that, Krista Parkinson said this really beautiful thing in class recently or in at SKH also in a in a conversation around ethics and um she was saying that empathy is amoral. Like our skill to empathize is doesn't make us better people. Like it's not necessarily like accurate also. It's not because I can feel with you and like get into the sen- sensual resonance of what you're doing and mate and get it also in my own body <laughs> that I necessarily understand you any better or that you've given me permission to do to take that on or mm-hmm. you know so that there's like whatever would be ethical or moral is on top of that skill which is like just a material that we use to do things together <laughs> to learn movement and I was like hmm that's interesting I like that anyway um oh my god I'm all over the place geez the question was what am I grateful for in my dance training so yeah oh the feeling things all the time being a drag oh right so I think in my like sort of mindfulness training of becoming adultish I've recognized the need also to disidentify with my sensations, like to be able to have a cold or an injury and not become utterly depressed, like, (laughs) or to get like fat in the winter and skinny in the summer and not have that be like my whole identity of like, you know, whatever, like I'm a heavy person, I'm a light person, you know, like how much can these sensations also be gently, you know. And did dance teach you to disidentify? No, I th- I feel like survival taught me to disidentify. Mm. I think dance kind of taught me to identify. And you needed to contrast it. And I need to, like, survive winters in Scandinavia <laughs> <laughs> without feeling that I've lost all my self-worth. I mean, like, I'm not even just talking about body shaming. I mean, just, like, all the sensations, you know, just everything, just the mood vibe system being so physical. Mm. That's part of the body bind we might talk about later. But one thing I feel like I'm grateful for that my dance training has taught me, which is kind of related, it's like an upgraded version of those two things combined or whatever I just said until now, (laughs) is a kind of acute awareness of like internal weather and external weather. Like there's a social skill of dancing, which is really profound self-knowledge, like self-observation 
and like really needing to know if and how I'm calibrated with the the room so that I feel like there's this like interface that's also performer knowledge like what I bring to the surface what I take in from the outside that kind of I feel like that's a thing I've really come to appreciate that's a really dancerly um, like a world making intelligence does mm. that make any sense yes it makes total okay sense. cool <laughs> mm. <laughs> okay that's enough or is it you tell me it's Mine. your podcast yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> i always feel I like i talk too much and talk too fast so i'm like cutting myself off but we're here to talk so hey no it's great i also several people say like you have to stop me i can just go yeah. on with my yeah. list of gratefulness mm. but let's uh, talk about your class okay um today we started class with dancing and dancing was sort of the only instruction you said i put on two songs and we we do dancing so then you had to think of course what what is dancing and you also asked what's the difference between moving and dancing Mm. and i would like now to ask this question to you what is the difference between dancing and moving Yeah, I just want to put a disclaimer for people (laughs) listening out there. That's not how I start class every day. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes I like to start with a specific to reach towards something maybe more open. And I just chose today to be like super generic because we were about to get like very uh, specific. (laughs) Um, It was also about like warm up because if you guys come for 45 minutes and you warm yourself up already, it's like, what are you getting warm to do? to dance what's dance do to find out dancing the difference between dancing and moving uh what do i think it is Mm -hmm. i like that exercise because i feel like just the language dance carries so much with it and i'm curious to know what that is for other people but for me i think and i do think about this a lot Oh, so Maxine Sheets Johnstone, who has written a lot about the kinetic tactile intelligence, like from the perspective of like embryology and like child development and stuff, like she kind of argues that it's the first intelligence we have. It's like touch and movement. It's the first sense that develops and actually all learning is sort of predicated and built on the foundation of tactile kinetic sense. Mm-hmm. Which is cool because it's also not terribly ableist in a, in a way. Like any any matter of neurons like has tactile kinetic sense, like mostly, pretty much. <laughs> so then like any acoustic or visual or like motor, you know, organizational stuff, it's like, you know, from there on. Anyway, she, so that I feel like there's a, there's a givenness that moving is thinking that I feel like many scientists and um, people have been working to prove for long enough that it's great that dance can like rest on that now in a way, I think, getting over the sort of like hundreds of years of Cartesian trauma of separation of mind and body or whatever. Uh, but then to be specific about what's dancing as opposed to moving, I think there is a, a sort of like non-teleological sort of like it's like purposeless but 
self-affecting. Like there's something about like dance that doesn't necessarily have to be an in order to, you know, there's ritual and there's narrative and there's like choreography. There's a lot of in order to that dance can like fill, but on its base, like just <laughs> what dancing does, it affects me and others. Like it produces mood it produces vibe. So I think there's something about like, you do it for what it does. You do it for how it feels. You do it for what it makes others feel. It's a f sort of in the realm of feeling, feeling generating. Yeah. And so I think there's, it's like in, as it's an aesthetic sort of practice, it's what is it, what does it make felt either musically, visually, kinetically, personally, emotionally. It's like, what does it bring what does it what does it make arise? What does it conjure? <laughs> so I think that's even generic enough that any culture or any number of dances could you could see as a way of making something felt. However spiritual it is or however like abstract it is, even if it's just about like making shapes appear, you know, it's like making something felt. So I think yeah, there's an aesthetic intelligence that I want to tune in and turn up when I'm moving just to feel more, feel it more, yeah. <laughs> to know it more, to shana, to no feel. <laughs> I know I didn't say that right, but, you know, in Swedish, that word know, know and feel is the same word, shana, right? Sh I say like shana, like it sounds like I'm saying <laughs> hey. Yeah, I mean yeah. like shana. I love that. It's the same word. What else is the difference between moving and dancing? I think... This is probably true also, though, for, like, athletes, like, that are super high performance or whatever. There's a, in dance uh, training, I think, is a, is a calibration of sensation, imagination, and observation. That, I think, is specific to dancing. Again, sensation. Sensation, imagination, observation. Like, I need all three of those things functioning at a high level in order to render a dance like well done <laughs> i've never learned any dance that didn't involve some image some imagination of what we're doing and however figurative or if it's just about knowing what angle my joints are in space proprioceptively or how much force or energy i want to you know groove with um, there's there's imagination. There's some shared imagination, even just culturally sometimes. There's a shared imagination of what we're doing. Uh, somatics are very much heavily rooted in imagination um, as a way of bypassing maybe a imitation. So I, you give the body an image to process so that it can, you know, find its own orientation uh, to execute that thing sensation so like i have to know i have to have to i have to feel it i have to be in touch with how it feels as an informational like spectrum of knowing what i'm doing <laughs> and observation is like this kind of like like in meditation like if i if i don't have this like a little bit disinterested observer present not here to judge not here to interfere I won't be able to measure like the relationship between sensation and imagination. So this notion of like not objective, but just like to check it out, to to observe what's happening allows me to to know if I'm doing what I think I'm doing, if I'm, you know, 
if the imagine how the imagination is affecting the sensation how the sensation is affecting the imagination if i did actually land on eight <laughs> if we are in a line <laughs> like whatever mm. whatever is the requirement so yeah and that the, you mean that that observation is a part of making movement dance or moving dancing i feel like sensation imagination observation are rapid like rapidly working together at a high level all the time mm. in dancing yeah and i think you could be dancing without that observational capacity but you would be dancing less skillfully i think that's part of the skilling mm. is that observer who's like what's the internal weather what's the external weather like you know just yeah. checking in and sort of to in order to temper all of that information and m- make it do what you want conduct it to conduct it <laughs> Does that make sense? And when I say a high performance athlete probably experiences the same thing, like e- yeah, there's probably like the imagined goal of like I am gonna kick that thing through that thing <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> there's the feeling of practice and all those like neurons kind of they they know what they know. And there's like yeah, for sure observation like hell, like you got to you got to be very awake to the current conditions. In order to play the game as it is now unfolding, not just repeating what you did in practice or whatever. Mm. So I think there's commonalities with other types of movement, but specifically that it's like that it's not to kick a thing through a thing, but it's to make something felt. I think that's maybe the the stronger difference. Yeah. What do you say? No, I I agree, and I really <laughs> had it this morning. Like you you also start when you get going in the morning you start like waving your arms a bit like you yeah. start moving mm-hmm. and then as you say you slowly start to get affected mm-hmm. by that swinging of the mm-hmm. arms and then you get captured and it starts to mm-hmm. feel more like dancing i remember being in a i feel like this was repeated maybe i heard it on your podcast from somebody else and it reminded me that i, I also heard that or uh-oh i think it's been said recently <laughs> in a conversation whatever martin kilvadi once like in his class cuz he would start class i mean i haven't taken his class in ages but you know i don't know 10 years ago 5 years ago he would always start just with dancing he's mm. like you do you like i'm not going to tell you what to get why aren't you dancing already we're in a dance studio what do you do here lie on the floor for nothing no we dance here like that's the context that's the baseline like we start with dancing <laughs> And then so in his class he would you know he would go like focusing in on different aspects or sort of start to massage that basic dance generic dance material into something each day some sort of study. But one day he just sat down and he was like it was very much about getting everybody getting like leveling up with their own values in dancing. And one of the things he said was like this is what I feel like has been said on this podcast maybe. That sometimes you have to seduce yourself into dancing. Mm. And I was like, oh, I like that. Like, that's... And he's like, what's hot? Like, what's hot dancing for you? Hot dancing for me is... I didn't remember. But I'm like, you're a hot dancer. So, of course, you know what hot dancing is for you. Like, oh, I think it was... Was it Ludwig who talked about Martin Calvati? I don't know. Yeah, talked about it in that episode. He's a great dancer. Anyway, so maybe you need to have him over here. Because if he's been cited twice now, third time, it better be just from the horse's mouth. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dream guest. Dream guest. (laughs) He's an interesting teacher. Very rigorous. Yeah, the seduction aspect I thought was interesting. Yeah, like you say, you start swinging your arms and you're like, oh, I like this, you know, find a thing to get into, get busy, make yourself interested, Montessori school for life. 
But I liked that also he was like asking you to know for yourself what's good dancing. That was nice, which is cool because you also asked that on this podcast. Yeah. And I, we also had him a bit in school, like demanding for you to find a way to get into it. Yeah. Like find what's interesting, what takes yeah. you, what yeah. moves you. I think that's also kind of like a performer value. I mean, who wants to watch somebody who doesn't give a poo? Mm. <laughs> it's like, if you don't care, I don't care. Like, your interest guides my interest. If you are busy with something that you find fascinating, like, yeah, maybe it's navel-gazy. Maybe there's the risk of it, it you losing me. But at baseline, you're inviting me probably to get interested also. But if you're not even interested, I, I can also go home. I got things to do, you know, like. <laughs> so there's something about like, yeah, nurturing and training one's own interest that that I feel like is a, again, it's like a meditation. You have like joyful effort is one of the tenets. I forget. There's like paramitas and sanasanasanas and it's just like the eight this and the eightfold that and the four these and the six those and the jewels and the things that there's so many things I lose track in Buddhist philosophy sorry but one of the six somethings <laughs> is joyful effort maybe six perfections I don't know no, I, anyway I <laughs> but this idea of like effort that there's like something about I like that one of the translations of it is joyful effort I like that combination mm. I think that has something to do with like that 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 quality of curiosity and engagement that yeah that can get you in and get others in joyful effort it's like the pleasure of work there's mm. something like dance is work but if you can't find the pleasure of work you just yeah then it's just work and if it's just pleasure and it doesn't have any like tension or something to bite into you know it's fun for a minute but then you're like yeah there's a yeah, I like that compound joyful effort. Any anyway, where are we? <laughs> so on Monday we started class with stillness, mm. starting to notice the movement that is present in what we call stillness. Mm -hmm. We started to notice the start of impulses. We followed those more and more, and dancing started. <laughs> And uh, then you guided us and uh, moved our attention to different areas. So we went through musicality and uh, the affect or the emotional aspect of the movement. We did uh, the tactile experience, the visual manifestation of the movement. Mm. And I think I didn't use the word dance on purpose, though. Maybe you didn't, but I, I felt so. like I was dancing, dancing. Yeah. when this happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, like often when you get these kind of tasks, I experience that the the aim is that the task generates the dance. Mm. While here I felt like the dancing was going on and we were moving our attentions to different yeah. aspects of yeah. it. Like the dance were doing its thing and we were... Mm looking at it yeah this is like a new thing i'm trying mm. <laughs> even though looking will change it for how sure. you look at it will change what it is especially if you're the doer and the looker um i have to cite tillman o'donnell though on the this he sent me a video once of protoplasm it was like some old laboratory film like on super eight like 
old, <laughs> of protoplasm, like this stuff that's in all the cells. All living organisms have protoplasm in the cells and that it moves like on its own when taken, taken out, of, out of any cell, it still seems to have some kind of intelligence of some sort, like it responds to stimuli. So I don't know if now it would be like cruelty to plasma, but they were like poking and prodding and injecting it with chemicals and doing things to this plasma and it was behaving, it was doing things, but even just on its own, it would have this kind of pulse this like flow of, of and circulation of stuff moving. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's also like entelechy is this concept, like it goes back maybe to even, I don't know, geez, Hegel, ouch, I'm bad with my philosophical history, but it, you know, Deleuze cites it. And then also um, Vibrant Matter, Jane Bennett cites it in Vibrant Matter, her book, Vibrant Matter. So entelechy is kind of summarized as like the will of like matter to move. Like that matter has a propulsion. I guess in the fold and Deleuze, this is from this is from Rasmus Olma's like obsession. It's like tendency to spatialize and spill or something. I don't know. Anyway, all these sort of notions that like stuff wants to move. <laughs> so let it move. So then it was like to let movement be the given. And then to apply these different aesthetic filters of like observing it or completing it, completing observing it, sort of pondering its qualities through rhythm, through how it sees or what it makes seen through the visual, through, yeah, the rhythm was like dynamic or punctuation or phrasing or rhythm or music. I, you know, I was trying to use different words to get, because people have different ways of relating to language and also to their movement. So I try to give a few in the category of time or musicality, in the category of visual or seeing or form or imagination even could be in there. Um, applying these different filters of different felt senses. Yeah, yeah, it's about let, like let movement be the, the given, the obvious thing, and then observe, observe what's happening. That I'm just repeating back to you what you said to me. What no, do we want to say about that? Why is this interesting? I guess for me, that exercise, as I don't use the word dancing, I think I don't. <laughs> it just, it's like a way of like, just getting curious about what what is intelligible here, you know? And here, I mean, in moving. Yeah, because I had like a realization that is maybe mm. obvious, but um, like I've been trying to make a dance that mm -hmm. is using the tactile experience mm -hmm. as the main tool, mm -hmm. which which uh, comes quite easy for me when I'm like improvising and just dancing. But when I'm trying to set movements, that becomes hard, mm. and I have felt that because I couldn't like ignore the visual aspect of the movement mm. or like the form I was failing mm. with my task but then in class it felt like these aspects exist at the same time and it's about where I put my attention mm -hmm. and it's all it's all going on like you can they are different maybe mm. but you can't really separate them 
I remember when I did use the word dance. I think it's near the end. I'm like, and now I can just let them all be at once because dancers can do everything at once. Mm. <laughs> That's where I'm like, ding, ding. Maybe there I like snuck in a definition of dance where it's like all those things. When it is the rhythm and the touch and the kinetics and the visual and the and the mood vibe, emotional yeah. spectrum. Um, then it's like qualities, qualities emerge that specify movement and then we can start to talk about dance because then we're like moving into an aesthetic specificity and then it becomes this dance or that dance or a dance <laughs> and not just movement as generic a substance maybe mm. huh the tactile is an interesting one because I feel like that's like there's something like uh, I've had that also. I, I tried really hard in a piece once. Not too hard. I didn't try hard enough. <laughs> I have tried to get the audience to like feel with me. Like, God, it's really great in here. You know, like this is not a thing to look at. You're not going to get it from looking at it in a box. How can I bring you closer to this? Because, wow. And I, I wanted the tactile to be more present than specifically the visual in that sense because I, I felt like there was like a distancing of this like aesthetic object that I was trying to undo and I think sound is one of the things that that has a proximity to touch like the, that the sound that the acoustic sense like it literally touches your inner ear which connects to your vagal nerve which is like goes deep into your connects to your psoas like you know yeah like yeah also like with asmr and stuff like mm. texture is very audible yeah i've been you... like envying music as an mm. art form exactly mm. for that reason like it's immediately like inside of you mm -hmm. and there is this distance to dance that i oh want to bridge But that's funny because that's like that's only within a certain tradition of putting dance on a stage like that. It's become this visual art that it's not doesn't have to be. No, for sure. Everyone could do it. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to cite it wrong. Yeah. Okay. so there was this argument. <laughs> oh, it was a very interesting article. I was reading an interview with Arthur Yaffa, a visual artist. He makes a lot of video work in the states and he was he mentioned that cornell west had said i say this because it's of a urological tradition to put dance on a theatrical stage that like happened to dance before like louis the 14th it was a court thing like we did it together like we i, I wasn't there <laughs> but these like baroque court dances were for doing together people would sit all around but then once it was important that the king would sit in the center of the theater and had the best seat there had to be a best seat so there had to be a best perspective everything starts to face this like one vanishing point la 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 And then we're like stuck telling stories and then dances like slowly just become like the accoutrement in the opera that's like, you know, a little bit of diversion and like divertissement in between the scenes that actually have to carry that like the narrative heavy lifting and blah, 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 blah. And then also, of course, because we have like the somatophobia of like Eurocentric philosophies over centuries that are like whatever, the body is sinful and messy and, you know, whatever music transcends and... All those like feminine, dirty, bodily things must be <laughs> sent away along with Eve and her sins or whatever. I mean, like, I'm not even going to do this. People have done it better. Volatile bodies, like introduction slash chapter one, Elizabeth Gross, she'll take care of that for you. 
the point I'm making is that in non-neurological histories, namely like Afrological or many other like different indigenous cultures, folk dances, like the, of all, I say folk, I mean, yes, yeah, what it's called, whatever you would say folk dance in Sweden. There is the ethos of participation, which relates more also to the acoustics. I mean, they say there's like the misnomer that like dance is closer to oral tradition. Like we don't have to talk to do it, but there's this participatory thing of like doing it in the round, which is also retained all the way through like hip hop dance to the cypher. Like you do it in the group. Even battles are not about like win or loser. It's like about participation and everybody who witnesses that moment knows who won you know like it's this it's it's about the energy created between the people deeply social deeply participatory not like a visual object of distance and the way that you show your appreciation is not by stillness and silence observing but by like getting loud and doing with you know or learning it like in a in a folk song you know, like you learn to sing it. That's the closest appreciation you can have is to learn to play it, learn to sing it and to pass it on and do it together and da da da. Anyway, but there was this thing that Cornel West said once and Arthur Yaffa quoted him as saying that like the black arts aren't visual and he got in a lot of trouble for saying that. But what was more specific in his argument when taken out of context is that he was like, black music and dance and things like came up in the states like in the church basically like that's where they survived and that space as you know it, there it's not so much about the depiction of god visually but like the feeling of the spirit together through song and dance and things um he was saying that it is there is visual there is there is uh, there, there are like colors and movements and recognizable aspects that are deeply visual, but because like that space of the church is not a primarily visual space, I mean, you're not, you're not really studying. There's like stained glass images. There's, there's certain depictions of God around, but that's not, that's not been the primary like way of feeling the spirit for <laughs> most religions. You know, it's not through the visual representation of it. Yeah, but it's yes. a tough. I think it's one of the one of the weird problems dance has forever, which is why so many people are like, I don't understand contemporary dance, because mm. maybe it's like alienating and weird to put it in a black box, and it it stands there like, look at me mm. in a in a room that's usually about like I tell you things up here, I tell you a story up here, like. <laughs> I think that's so weak, though. Like, why would we... I, I mean, people also say, I don't understand contemporary art. But usually when they say, I don't understand contemporary art, they say, my kid could have made that. Like, <laughs> there's that, like, complaint about skill with that. So I maybe it's just part of the nature of experimental or, or somewhat non-representational forms. But dance meets that problem because you can't take the person out of it. So when you're a person doing stuff, asking for attention of another person, but yet you wish to communicate nothing and represent nothing, <laughs> like, they're just like, why am I looking at you? Especially, why are you looking back at me? Like, <laughs> which is a socially awkward situation to be That's in. True. Let's just face it. <laughs> but if it's like a pile of material in a corner, like it doesn't demand my comprehension in the mm -hmm. same way socially. Like, I don't know. Or like a, a color field, like a Rothko isn't standing there like, you know, 
giving me side eye, you know, like it's, I, I can feel invited. It's self-sufficient. It'll stay there. I mean, it's not paid by the hour. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> I'm not going to go too far in comparisons between media. It's quite boring. But. Another word that I've been looking forward just to say, modibind, mm. that you uh, mention mm-hmm. a lot. Could you tell us what the modibind is? I think for me, it's just another one of these, like, we need better words, new words, different words. And as long as it's like, really, yeah, there is a thing called mind. There's qualities of mind. But they really don't exist without, like, stuff. There's not, there, there's chemical, there's neurons, there's, like, all sorts of material. There's, like, a physical reality to mind. It's real. <laughs> It's present. It's like not ephemeral. It doesn't. It doesn't exist outside of um, the physical. And there is a thing called a body. <laughs> and you know, when it dies and starts to decompose, maybe it is not actively mind mindful. But if I think about the fact that, like billions of tiny microorganisms in my intestines and like gut are making decisions <laughs> or are like affecting my decision making skills my stress levels a whole day and when my corpse starts to get eaten by a bunch of microorganisms like yeah there's mind is still present like it's I don't know you could take this argument to the end like really just exhaust it but There's also a very nice book, uh, What to Do with Our Minds. I think it's called What Do We Do with Our Heads? What Do We Do with Our Minds? What Do We Do with Our Minds? What to Do with the Mind? Whatever. Catherine Malibu. And she kind of, from a neuroscience uh, perspective, like neurobiology and stuff, she's really pointing at these like great mysteries that we still don't really even know what a thought is or like how it arises like what is what is it there's it's nothing there's nothing but negative space like between a neuron and then the receptor i mean of course there's chemical things passing but like they they can they can track like material like material events in the gray matter <laughs> they can track that stuff is happening but like what is happening between the stuff happening and it becoming a representation or a thought be it in language or image or whatever like they're like we they don't know how to decode that like what's that translation that's wild what happened in there so there's this there's this element to which like we are ultimately a black box like we don't really know what knowing is it's great centuries of philosophy trying to like you know stab at it but i'm just interested to say body bind <laughs> instead of body hyphen mind to just kind of insist on the entanglement even more that's all just to say that there's no thought without action somewhere mm. something happens <laughs> and there's no action without thought and it doesn't mean it has to be contemplative or reflective or reflexive or representational thought but that doing is thinking in itself there is something going on that's like a coordination of mind and matter And I, that's it. Like, it's not that crazy. I don't even like want to write a philosophy paper about it. Like I don't, 
<laughs> this is like maybe Maudie Bind is me just being like a lazy poet or something. <laughs> like I just want to force some new words in there so that we can get on with it and be like, okay, cool. So now we've accepted it's one thing. Well, how does it work? You know, what can we do with it? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'm doing a PhD. Basically what happens when people do a PhD in artistic research is like they make up words from smushing other words <laughs> together. Like it's like everybody's going to do it. You get so just like dorky <laughs> with your own practice and like trying desperately to like say something about it that, yeah, everybody who does a PhD in artistic research, I think like makes up a stupid word at some point. So I got a couple. And this is yours. Money Splace bond. is another one. Splace. Yeah. Space and place. No. Yeah. 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 I think dance is like a splace making. Like everybody's like world making, world making. I'm like, <laughs> like it's not that big all the time. Sometimes it's just a splace. So place is like geographic and local. And space is kind of like abstract or constructed or socially agreed upon. Right. So place it's like this conference room in this building in this city in this country on this planet maybe <laughs> place and uh or workplace but like workspace mm, that could be anywhere you know like that's just like we just decide to work now it's a workspace you know like it sounds construct sounds like we maybe it's like thrown together a workspace you know it's like oh it could be flexible maybe the tables move like i don't know like <laughs> space this is a safe space this is a social space outer space even the concept of space like three-dimensional space four-dimensional space what is space like wah, 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 wah. so spaces you get me you feel me so space is kind of constructed and place is kind of given you could say it like that but that for me is a bit a sort of that's the spatial manifestation of the imagined and the observed entangled in sensation so splace making happens all the time in dance like my, i feel like my my body bind is <laughs> aware of a sort of flickering between this room here this studio this floor these lights like there's a realness here that's very bland and it, it's this place but once we move in this place It becomes another place. Like, and each dance kind of makes a different space mm. out of that place. And I, I think that's interesting for me in the choreographic and in the dance thinking that splaces. <laughs> we are like, we're, hmm, we're always making splace. Mm -hmm. Cool. I think we're going to the final question. Let's have it. Uh, what is a good dancer? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did mention that like feeling in the past that was about clarity and uh, like chameleonness or ability to be many things. We've talked a bit about like getting getting engaged, like being able to get make yourself interested in something. I think I think a good dancer does that, like good as in like a good dictig, like a good performer, good dancer, like tending. Carissa says this thing that dancers tend to the choreography, like take care of it, um, tending, like a tending a farm or something like this, taking care of through like work and time, uh, which is interesting. Why? Because it's related to, oh, that getting part of tending, being able to tend, being able to care, you know, you have to 
find a way in to care for the thing. Um, so I think maybe there's something in there. What else? But let's be like now. Let's be very current. Let's like not like fall back. Let's be spontaneous with this question. Let's beginner's mind. Be fresh with it. What makes a good dancer? Or, as Anna Grip says, what does a good dancer do? Mm. I'm like maybe a little bit old school, old school, whatever. I feel like a good dancer is like very... Um, it filled to the edges, knows their edges and meets them. And I think that's multidirectional. Like you don't forget a single cell. That's part of what like makes that Deborah Hay scores work so well. Like, you know, they make good performer. It makes a good performer to ask all 80 trillion cells to like feel something at once or do something at once or like ask them a question all at once. That idea that like every single micromillimeter of my being is like alert and present and engaged with what's happening. I feel like that renders forms with detail and fullness um, in a way that is then also nice to watch. <laughs> I can get into the fun to do, fun to watch when I see a sort of, all the edges, all the edges are met. And I think that's interesting also in terms of like know your edges and meet them. It also has to do with like, a young dancer maybe is always like bah, a little bit, bah, a little bit bursting past their edges, you know, like that, like excitement of like youth and virility where you just want to whack the leg high and like feel it hard. And that's like, is maybe lacks the sort of like knowing your edges and meeting them like that sort of skillful experience of being able to modulate that energy and I think the why edge also because the edge is like the surface where it meets a witness so maybe like know your edges and meet them is also like it could be extended to like my attention going all the way to the back row or like to the front row you know like the maybe there's also an ephemeral aspect of it that's not just like the skin that's the thought I have about it today breath cool um, I'm going to add the question. Are you a good dancer? I think I was. <laughs> <laughs> At this very moment, I do not feel excellent in my ability to do things I miss having done. Oh, don't talk to me right now. It's like bad corona and winter and just missing things in my life um, in terms of just practice and and doing the thing. It takes practice. Dance will always be there. Like I know, I know because of the speed with which it comes back. Dance, she's a very forgiving friend. Like you don't call her for a whole year and she's like, what's up? Like she's <laughs> ready to talk. <laughs> Doesn't matter. She's not going to punish you too hard, but you still have catching up to do. I mean, so it takes tending to, to be remaining a good dancer. And I think a lot of my practice lately has been very dull. Like, I, I'm, you know, doing like, I just get, I'm, I am a social animal. And really, my dancing is very social. Some people can go to the studio alone and get, like, super busy and nerdy. I, I'm not, you know. So when I'm alone, I end up doing, like, whatever videos I can find. And it's a lot of, like, 
you know, basic fitness stuff just to make sure I don't fall apart. And so a whole year of that, I mean, almost it's kind of becoming, I'm becoming a little bit dull, I think. But, you know, when I have, I have felt, yes, I think I was a very good dancer. It's so crazy to say this because I was only performing like in October. It's not that long ago. (laughs) Only takes five months to feel like a total loser. (laughs) Six months, half a year, half a year, we'll do it. Oh, gosh, don't make me depressed. No, no, no. (laughs) Yes, no, I think I have, if I can say so myself, I've been an excellent dancer. And what is excellent about my dancing? (laughs) I think there's a lot of pleasure in it. And there's like work ethic, like the pleasure, the, the joy of getting it right. Like just really getting it right. Whatever it is, whatever the form is, like if right means in the situation of a cipher, like really, really wanting to understand what this person is feeling, going through, saying with their dance so that I can engage in this conversational mode. I am in it. Like I'm in 200%. My attention is like glued on that person. And then I'm going to just, I'm very fearless also. I feel like I don't care about looking like an idiot or getting it wrong. I think that has helped me a lot also in my dancing trajectory. So I like, I play hard and I learn fast. And that has been, that has been great because I think it's allowed me to learn a lot of different forms and be able to embody a pretty wide range of methods and ways of moving and to give them a lot of care Bing, 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 boom. <laughs> Whatever. Oh my God, that's so weird. I'm like bragging about it's a so former good. self that's that I missed. That's what I missed. wanted. When I asked the question, I wanted bragging. <laughs> They're also like, I'm a tourist. Like, I don't know if astrology has anything to do with it. <laughs> but like, I feel things hard. So I think I was one of those dancers that had to come back off the edge of like having to feel it hard. But aging, knowing those range of sensations and then being able to like, you know, refine also the subtler edges of that has been a real delight also and that's actually what I miss is the subtlety it's not like oh I can't get my legs high anymore it's like my body gets dull when I don't practice dancing it's like the detail and the subtlety and the refinement and all the gradients and in-betweens that kind of get chunked and dull oh but let's not focus on the negative (laughs) just to say i think you can age dancing forever and like not be able to do the same shapes and actions as before but still have a lot of good dancing going on for sure yeah before we end we have to mention your podcasts yeah well yeah that that i did a couple podcasts yes the ones i know Mm, is uh, sleeping Giant dreams. Yeah, duh. yeah. Yeah. This is like my Corona podcast, basically, and it's Great. not edited because I just didn't have like the budget or the time yeah, to yeah, go yeah, deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're no just like meandering, crazy conversations. Yes, they're many. very. There's like many episodes. Eleven or something. Twelve, eighteen. There's eighteen, 18 episodes. Yes, yeah, two pages, so you don't see them if you don't keep scrolling or like extend. And then you made a podcast for Uni Arts that is yeah. called. S-K-H dance podcast. Well, that was the idea when Anna Ephraimson started the podcast series. I was the first to hop in and it was like, great, people should do this. But then nobody else has yet. But soon the MAs in new performative practices will be adding to that S-K-H dance podcast series. 
my my series of episodes is under the title How Dance Thinks, which was like a module in my research as a PhD. SKH also hosts, I think, technically, it might be also linked or it's their website, their domain that has the Sleeping Giant Dreams stuff on it. Okay. Pretty sure. I will link it all in the description. Okay, cool. There's a few nice interviews in the Sleeping Giant Dreams one, like, yeah, with dancer people. And then there's also conversations with non-dance people. I was really leaning in to, like, trying to get some extended metaphor of, like, body choreography in an interdisciplinary conversation. Some of them are a bit of a reach. <laughs> but that was, like, that was like spring, summer, you know bursting with ideas nordic space-time it's real i'm like i'm a genius in may and then in december i'm like i don't understand why make anything it's crazy you guys it's crazy why do we live here yeah (laughs) um before we end is there anything you would like to add ask or be asked Ask, ask, or be asked. I think that's enough for today. I don't know. I wish I'd have known I was going to have that question. I would have come with good questions for you. (laughs) What do you think makes a good dancer? (laughs) Mm. Mm. Like the, the ability to commit. And what we mentioned before, to get affected by one's own dancing, Mm -hmm. to be in it. Like maybe to have that observer that you were talking about, but not get too too obsessed in observing yourself. Mm -hmm. Like not narcissistic? (laughs) No, more like not too, I don't know, judgmental, maybe. Yeah. And then I... Like a dancer that is projecting their movement, that is moving space around them. Mm. This moves me. Mm. Nice. Thanks for this conversation. Thank you so much for guesting. <laughs> yeah. All right. I also have to tell people, oh, sorry. I say five, six, seven, eight all the time, and it like makes people laugh. Like I'll say it in my everyday life. Like it means like let's go, let's, let's do this. Go. Five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> And so it's great that you have a podcast called 5678. Perfect. Tschüss. <laughs> Bye-bye.